Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, hello, and thank you for joining us today. You know, we've heard a lot about imposter syndrome, the feeling that you're faking it, that you really don't belong, that you're pretending to be something you're not. And many of us can identify with that, especially in the workplace. You start a job and you may have really wanted it, but you're surrounded by people who seem to know what they're doing. And you go in thinking, what am I doing here? You know what? Maybe that's a generational thing. And maybe Gen Z will be the first generation that doesn't feel that way. Maybe they'll always feel that they belong and they can be confident in every situation. Because if you think about it, Gen Z is not entering the same workplace that existed earlier, and they've not had the same childhoods that some of us from other generations did either. They've grown up with smartphones in their hands, and that changes a lot of things about how you view the world and the information you can get. And perhaps it makes you more confident. Well, to talk about why Gen Z is such a confident generation, I'm joined today by Corey C. Miller. Now, Corey is a Gen Z expert. She's a professor at Wright State University. She's done a lot of research around this generation, their attitudes, and what they're bringing into work life. And it is work life. It's not just work. It's sort of a life with work as part of it. I had a really good talk with Corey. I learned a lot. So please stay with us to hear the conversation. Is Gen Z the most confident generation ever, and will they take that confidence into the workplace? To talk about that, I'm joined by Corey Seemiller. She is professor at Wright State University and an expert on the generation. Hi, Corey. Hello, Linda. Nice to be here. Well, nice to be talking to you about this. Uh, People have mentioned Gen Z in lots of different contexts. You obviously have an interest in it. How did you end up studying this area? Well, I'm a I'm a college student educator, so it, it's you know always fascinating when we have new students enter and we say, well, what makes them tick, right? And uh, I was actually just working at a university at the time and started noticing some differences with the students that were coming in. And this was way back in 2013. And I said, there's something unique about this group. And come to find out that a lot of the things I saw back then were what I realized later on through research were actually a lot of it probably attributed to a generational shift. So 2013, that would probably still have been millennials, right? Where are you putting the cutoff for Gen Z? We use the the dates uh, presented by Sparks and Honey, who were some early, earlier researchers on uh, generations, and they actually laid it out that 1995 through 2010. So 2013, we were uh, it was a summertime, so they were around 17, 18 years old, which made them kind of coming into college. Now, I know some later researchers use other dates like 97 to 2012, kind of a, you know, a little muddy in there, but we use the original dates that some of the earlier researchers use. So um, they were on the really the forefront of the first cohort of Gen Z at that point. So you put Gen Z, the end of it as 2012, 2013? Like we put the end of it at 2010. Oh, 2010. Okay. So yeah. after that, it's alpha. Okay. That's, um, yep. that's a different definition. I've seen different cutoffs, as you say. Okay. Well, let's talk about this group. Okay. I, I'm a parent of one. Uh, They're a very tech-savvy generation. We know that. They've grown up with smartphones in their hands. They take photographs of everything. What do you see as their defining characteristics? 
Well, it's interesting because, uh, you know, we've studied this since since 2014, actually, in three different studies asking Gen Zers to describe themselves. So what I see as their characteristics sometimes looks different than what they see as their characteristics. Um, but what they they basically claim is their top you know kind of characteristics are uh, loyalty and responsibility, compassion, open mindedness, which isn't really all that surprising, because I would say if I were to describe Gen Z, those are probably some of the words I would use. And what's really interesting is we did our first study in 2014. It was U.S.-based population, and loyalty was the number one characteristic out of 30 that they described themselves. We did the study again later on, loyalty number one. We just did a global study um, with 30,000 participants worldwide from 81 countries. The number one um, characteristic they described themselves was loyalty. So we see kind of a standing um, kind of long trend of that. So a lot of people will say, but we don't see them as loyal at all. You know, they come and go mm-hmm. from jobs and all this. Well, they're also young people. So you have to understand the stage of life that they're in. So they may be very, maybe more loyal young people than, you know, young people were 20 years ago, but they do see themselves as loyal. Okay. So as workers, you kind of hinted at this, yeah, they're moving around like young people, but compared to millennials or Gen X or boomers, even like, what would you say in the workplace makes them different? Well, you know, a lot of things. One of them is how we recruit them into the workplace and what they're willing to do and where they're where they're interested in going. I mean, they're a really values driven generation more so than in the past uh, with some of our more recent uh, working generations. You know, they, they want to work in jobs that have meaning and they want to work for places that stand for the values that they care about. Things around, you know, uh, social justice, environmental and climate, you know, climate justice. And that's important for a lot of them. Um, I mean, some of them are obviously in a in a precarious financial situation and might have to take a job doing something or working somewhere that they're not aligned with. But if they had their preference, that they lead with that. They lead with that before they lead with things like you know, money and opportunities for advancement, like maybe other uh, generations had. So, you know, that's one of the biggest differences. Another difference is how they want to uh, be trained in the workforce. You know, they they are um, they have kind of a flexible and fluid learning learning style. So, you know, we've, we've done things where you know, we've done all onboarding and training in person, and then we've swung it all the way to the other side. Where we've done it all with these modules online and you do them at home. Uh, they sort of sit in the middle and they say, if you're going to bring me somewhere to learn something, make it worth my while that I'm interacting with the people that I'm there with. If I don't need to interact with them, you know, then 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 think about what can I do on my own? Um, but the interesting thing is on their own isn't necessarily home by themselves with an assignment of 16 onboarding modules. It's actually, they like to do it with other people. So even having something social where they're gathering with all the new employees and they're working on their modules together, they see that in some senses like a, a chance to work with. So there's some training things that we really have to consider. And then of course, you know, as we look at kind of supervision and, and succession planning, you know, thinking about, um, you know, this generation has... Uh, a predisposition to wanting to roll up their sleeves and do the work. Um, a, a lot of them in, in our research, and we found you know consistent with other people's is they're not necessarily as, as eager to be the one in charge. Um, part of that's their age and their, and their experience in the workforce, but it's also um, a little bit less than we found with, you know, maybe younger generations who were the same age and said, yeah, I want to be in charge. Yeah. I want to be the boss. Yeah. I want to move forward. This is a generation that says, I don't need to be in charge. I just need to feel like what I'm doing matters. But this is what's baffling, I think, to some of the leaders I've spoken to, that they have this generation they would say is not ambitious, but perhaps ambitious in a different way. What would you tell those leaders? Well, I mean, the question really is, what is ambition, right? Um, we've had this kind of stereotyped idea that ambition is this idea that you want to 
work 100 hours a week so that you can move up the ladder to do a job that makes you work 120 hours a week. And I think if anything, Gen Z sort of has this figured out in ways that I wish I had when I was younger, because in their idea, ambition is a life goal. It's not a, necessarily a career goal. So ambition is doing all the things that they want to do in life. It might be having a family. It might be traveling, doing hobbies. And in order to do that, that means that sometimes they have to balance out their work lives to do that. So maybe a boss would say, well, they're not ambitious. Well, they are. They have an ambitious attitude for doing lots of things. They just don't necessarily want to you know, maybe work overtime or horrible hours or a job they don't like just to get ahead. I want to come back to something you said earlier about training, that they like to be together when they get trained. How do you think this is working out right now where we are moving to remote work? Maybe not every day, but a lot of organizations are leaving people to be on their own. And maybe that works if you're 40 or 50 and you have kids at home. But if you're 20 something and you want a social environment, how unhappy are they with this? Um, well, I mean, there's a, it's kind of a double-edged sword. They, they, you know, in some senses are missing that social connection, but in other senses, the flexibility and the freedom of being wherever they want when they work um, kind of balances that out a little bit. So, you know, some of the kinds of things that uh, that might help are instead of requiring everybody to be back at work is saying, here's an opportunity, here's a workplace, come if you if you want to come, there's a space, you don't even have maybe a desk. I'm talking about not like shift jobs or service-oriented jobs, but those with office spaces is having a place where people can gather. Now, that doesn't always happen because sometimes people are working very remotely, like from another state. Um, One of the things that we may end up seeing that we're starting to grow in popularity with this generation and even some millennials prior to COVID were uh, co-working spaces where people who work remotely like to actually go in a space and just be around other people who had jobs at other places just so they were around people. Um, and COVID obviously kind of put a halt to that. I'll be curious to see if something like that comes about where, again, I don't have to be working next to my actual coworker, but as long as I'm working next to other people that are working, I feel a sense of social connection. Yeah, I'll be curious too, because this has been a weird few years, right? We're just kind of figuring right. it out again. Okay, let's talk about confidence, because I know I've seen you quoted on this, that Gen Z is less likely to suffer from imposter syndrome than other generations. And imposter syndrome used to be something we talked about women having, feeling like they were faking it. Now we use it maybe more broadly. You think it's generational? There's less of an issue now? You know, I mean, as as a whole, I mean, there's certainly people who are going to have imposter syndrome no matter what they're doing. One of the things that I did talk about in this article was that part of the imposter syndrome and part of it just part comes from this idea of not having enough information or expertise in a particular area and then being in a situation in which you have to execute something that you don't feel confident in knowing how to do. And that's one of the ways that imposter syndrome is sort of triggered. With Gen Z being such a a DIY, you know, do-it-yourself generation, they have access to a lot of information that they they can gather to prepare themselves for situations. So in some sense, they can get the training, they can get the expertise, they can get the wisdom that they might need before going into a situation which may help them be more confident about what they're about to do. So the ability to access that definitely does curb um, the the ultimate kind of manifestation of the imposter syndrome if they choose to go that direction. And many of them would. They, They obviously have a lot of resources at their fingertips. Yeah, they can obviously use social media for good. Uh, it tends to get trashed, though. That the amount of time that Gen Z is spending on social media, which is what, something like four hours a day at least, uh, is not healthy for them. Do you have a view on this? 
Well, you know, it's interesting because it's not just Gen Z. There's a lot of people of all generations. I mean, even my baby boomer mother was on Facebook six (laughs) hours a day. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, I think that it's not necessarily a generational thing. I think the part of it that is generational is that at their age, they have access to something that most of us didn't have access to at their age. Um, But right now we all have access to that. And there are some people that just spend a lot of time. I have a lot of Gen X uh, friends that are on Instagram every night for hours and hours, even on TikTok. So it's a prevailing uh, question that we have for, for all of us is, you know, to what extent is social media helpful? And, and there's a lot of really good things. Um, I liken it to an automobile, right? You know, like if you use it responsibly, it's excellent. It can transport you here and there. But if you don't use it responsibly, it can cause accidents. And so social media is very much the same way. If you're on there and you're getting, you know, solid, good information, you're connecting with people, you're being entertained, you're communicating. Those are all good things that can happen. Even finding support on social media can be great where you might have connections with people who are helping you through a difficult time. Um, but, you know, the downsides of social media affect everyone um, that, you know, misinformation, just your time suck, um, you know, inability to, you know, kind of maintain privacy settings. There's just a lot of things, too, that I think we all have to be concerned about. The difference, though, is that, you know, I'm in my 40s and I have kind of more life experience to to sift through some of the the, the downfalls or, or potential hazards of social media and maybe mitigate those in ways that I don't think that my 18-year-old self would have been able to do as effectively. So I think that's where the generational piece comes in. It's really more about the stage of life. It's interesting. When you're on social media, you can chat with people all over the globe and you think it's nothing. And this is a generation that's grown up on that. Do you think it'll make them form more businesses, like think they can sell to the world? To me, it seems that the it, the world is within their reach and they feel that way. How will that impact them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, their, their range of influence is so much bigger than my range of influence was when I was their age, um, just simply because they can connect with people all over the world. I mean, even look at things like uh, coordinated... Um, coordinated movements, social movements, where, you know, there's something happening in one country and there's a march for it. And then it happened. Then there's a coordinated march at the same time, the same day in 40 other countries, um, because they're able to influence each other and bring, you know, kind of a vision together in a, in a much larger scope than uh, other young people were, you know, decades ago. So certainly that's going to have an impact at, um, if they engage in entrepreneurship, which many of them are, we have, this is an incredibly innovative and entrepreneurial generation. Um, partially because of some of their characteristics, but partially because of the opportunities that they have that, you know, maybe make it easier to be an entrepreneur or be innovative. So they certainly do have that wide reach. They can probably sell a lot to other people. They can collaborate and coordinate, have multinational businesses, Um, just friends all over the world that can help spread the word for them is, is certainly an asset. Okay. You mentioned values earlier. That's obviously important to this group, but if you're just an employer and you're trying to bring... Gen Z's into your organization, what else should you be thinking about? How do you reach them? And what are the things you should be offering them? Well, I I think, you know, really going back to what is the messaging about what the job will be? Um, You know, this this idea of, you know, like there's this, uh, you know, this idea of putting it out there and here's the benefits, here's the pay, all that's really good. It's important to be transparent. But really the message should be to Gen Z'ers is, Here's how this job is important. Here's what you will be doing and contributing to, you know, the good of the world. And you know what? I, I'd be hard pressed to find any job that can't find at least one thing that it contributes that makes a difference in the lives of other people. In any corporation, as much as you might say this doesn't align, you know, with my values, I think you can probably find at least one thing that you can say that this does good. 
Um, and I think employers need to dig deep with that and re reassess their messaging. So it's not about, you know, you have opportunity for advancement and all, those are really good. And that's important to share, but it's really about what you're, you're asking someone to make a commitment, a values commitment to an organization, not just a professional commitment. Um, and, and in order to do that, you've got to speak their language. So that's, that's really important. The question too, where do you, where do you find them? Everywhere everywhere there's you know it's not like we're moving away from one one of the things about uh, what we learn about generations is it's never like an or it's always an and like we don't we don't always stop doing one thing and start doing another instead sometimes we just have to do a lot of things it might mean making video on tiktok and then you know and then you turn around and you you know you send out an email somebody might their parent might get an email and then forward it to them um so it's a lot of it's taking that marketing plan and expanding it um, and, and then messaging in ways that are appropriate for the, the medium that, that, that marketing is going through. And that's, that's how you find them. This is a generation that also, um, you know, they, they like social connection, interpersonal communication, like face-to-face is their, their preferred modality over anything digital. So, you know, while they're on their phones and they're doing all those things, you might think, oh, but they don't want to talk in person. They do, they want to form connections. So, um, finding ways to connect with them at networking events and just talking with them is also a really critical way of, of helping them see the value in working for your organization. And when you have them there, if you're a manager, how are they different? How should you manage them differently than you manage millennials, say? Well, I think one of the number one things that, that I always keep in mind is that their motivations are really different. Um, so if you look at like, I'll even take it back to Gen X, I'm a Gen Xer. So in in the workplace, I'm motivated and have always been motivated, not just because I'm where I'm at in my career, but I've always been motivated by autonomy and independence. I wanted a supervisor who would give me a task and then leave me alone. Um, but then you get millennials who wanted a lot of supervision. They wanted a lot of feedback. They wanted to know they were on the right track all the time to the point where their Gen X managers were like, you got to eat, you know. I can't give you this much feedback. I don't have this much time. I need you to just have autonomy. So there was a disconnect there. Then you, you know, then you have Gen Zers coming in and they say, you know, I want to, I want to make an impact. I want to feel a sense of accomplishment. I want to see the, you know, the kind of the fruits of my labor. I want to know that what I'm doing is matters. And so that's, you know, so you offer some type of an incentive to a Gen Z or it's not going to hit the same way as it might for another generation. Because you you need to be able to to sit down with them. They want you to show them how things are done because they care greatly about their performance in ways that they say, you know, walk me through one and then you can leave me alone. And so so I think what's important for managers to know is that that everybody is motivated differently. And motivation is really the key to critically supervising people is to understand how they get their work done. And being able to understand that will help you just be able to better switch that supervision style depending on who you're supervising. Corey, thanks so much. Really interesting insights on this. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Corey Seemuller is a professor at Wright State University. That's it for today. If you want to know more about Corey and her work, please take a look at our show notes. You'll find some links there. If you want to connect with me, I'm on Twitter at at RelentlessEco. Now, if you did enjoy this podcast about the future of work, please take a moment and leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. That will really help people to find us and will help keep these conversations going. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. 
The Work in the Future podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production.